But when we start to look into masculinity, even in its essence, it's subjective. It's subjective to us. So when we talk about men being masculine and, and embodying masculinity, well, what does that really mean? I think that means, in my personal opinion, to find what it is that resonates with you in your heart and in your soul and be that man every day and be that man in every moment. That's Johnny L. Sasser. And this is episode 424 of the Wellness Force podcast. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life and begin from that platform of sacred relationship to the self to begin to orient towards others in that same way? If you felt bad with the last millionth of a second, well, let go of the things that were making you feel bad that millionth of a second and be new right this millionth of a second. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Hey, it's Josh. This is Wellness Force. It's where you and I discover physical and emotional intelligence so you can live your life well and thrive in our modern world. If you haven't done it yet, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. Make sure you never miss another free podcast delivered every single week to your phone or computer, wherever you're listening. You can also get coached directly by me and get the Wellness Force Guide. It's the M21 Guide. It's for our global community. Just head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash M21 so you can take a deep breath with this wellness guide. It's a simple, but it's also powerful. It's a 21-minute morning system that will melt stress and give you more energy. And it also includes six practices, one of them being breath work. It's yours for free, wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And I have a question for you today. When you hear the word masculinity, what comes up for you? If you're a woman, how would you define masculinity? If you're a man, same question. What do you believe our world is asking for right now from men the very most? And lastly, why is this an important question to ask, especially with what we're experiencing with lockdowns, medical segregation, attacks on health freedom, and above all else, a war for our souls and the souls of our children? I know it seems serious, but that's the times we live in. In this duality, there's abundant love and possibility, and there's also darkness. I ask myself these questions almost every day. And today on the podcast, if you've been contemplating this or seeking answers, this episode will give you some incredible intelligence and answers to these questions and so much more. Today, I sit down in person with a friend, a fellow podcaster, a brother, and a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger with four combat tours between Iraq and Afghanistan and another five years protecting the U.S. Ambassador to Iraq in Baghdad. My guest has seen the field of masculinity through extreme alpha perspectives and knows the trials and tribulations all men, to include the toughest men, deal with in society today. His mission is to help men find strength in developing their authentic masculinity to be consistent with who they are and not what society expects them to be. His name's Johnny Alsasser, and he shifted his fight to advocating and supporting men and finding their own masculine blueprint and cultivating their purpose as positive men in this world today. Now, this podcast is so special to me. I got to go in person on a deep, intensive weekend with Johnny and learn how to intelligently and honorably use firearms, connect with other men. I've also been a guest on his podcast, The Art of Masculinity. But this wild man experience that Johnny runs, I'll tell you, it was powerful in so many ways. Make sure you go to YouTube and watch the interview with some beautiful clips of the wild man experience that Johnny's been running for a couple years now. And if you yourself are a man on a spiritual path, 
I hands down, 100%, absolutely implore you to reach out to Johnny personally and book yourself for a wild man experience. Let him know you heard about it here on Wellness Force. In this podcast, you'll learn how to move through trauma as a man or a woman. We'll also talk about how women can support that conscious relationships, exploration, and what it means to be a balanced masculine and feminine man. We'll explore the true price of freedom and how we spend our currency of attention on things that are actually hurting us. And a lot of times we don't know it. We'll talk about the myths and the truth when it comes to masculinity and how Johnny came back after hitting rock bottom to take him on a self-development journey to have deep healing with plant medicine in Peru. And we'll talk about the practical side of tools for self-development and men to essentially heal their own shadow so we can heal the shadow of the collective. And as you take in this podcast today, ask yourself, can I be curious about my triggers? This will be controversial, no lie. Ask yourself, can I be curious about my triggers and can I be the arbiter of my own thoughts? As always, I appreciate your support at wellnessforce.com forward slash store so much. You can pick up 20 to 40% off, sometimes more, savings that you won't find anywhere else. We have exclusive partnerships with every brand when it comes to your wellness and your well-being. It's at wellnessforce.com forward slash store. You're probably purchasing the products that are in our store already, but now you just get to save 20 to 40% off, like the Feel Free Wellness Tonic, the Paleo Valley Turkey Sticks and Apple Cider Vinegar Tablets, as well as all Organifi products and anything else when it comes to your detoxification, digestion, and energy. I know a lot of times people message me, they're like, what was that code? What was that thing? Everything can be found at wellnessforce.com forward slash store. Thank you for your support. It allows me to keep bringing you the highest level interviews delivered free right to wherever you're listening at whatever stage of the journey that you're on. Now, let's learn from Johnny Elsasser. Johnny, welcome to Wellness Force. Thank you, brother. I am stoked to be here, Josh. This is amazing. We just got done with the coolest event. Uh, I have never had so much fun with men. Like, tell people, for those that don't know, the wild man experience. Like, just give them, don't give them all of it, but give them a little (laughs) bit of of what we did together, just if somebody's interested in men's work and, and just spark their interest in this. Yeah, brother. Thank you, by the way. And thank you for having me on here. I'm obviously just a huge supporter of you. I love Wellness Force. And this is just an honor to be on the show with you. So I want to say that for sure. Um, But the Wild Man experience was something that I crafted because I wanted to give men, I wanted to start to bring men together, especially those guys that fall more towards that alpha line of, of masculinity. I wanted to give them a manly experience, which I used to be former special operations, U.S. Army Ranger. I used to do protection for the U.S. ambassador to Iraq. So I have a vast experience with a lot of different things, but mainly weapons and tactics. So I wanted to give guys this feeling of a manly environment, but I wanted them to also treat them, right? Because I think, uh, and you and I can dive into this, but guys don't like to take care of themselves really well and give themselves really nice things, like treating themselves to a VIP dinner or bougie, you know, sure. they usually do it for their women in their lives, but not for themselves, you know? And so I wanted to give them a VIP experience where all they had to do was be present. And then I also wanted to incorporate a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, which is men's development work and helping guys really find themselves so they can get back to life and really become better fathers and husbands and really just own who they are and, and connect with that authenticity that sometimes has eluded us throughout life. Hmm. So that was really what the wild man was about. And so we go out and... um we shoot out of a helicopter. We- Which was so much fun. Oh my God, I've never done that in my life. 
we shoot out of moving vehicles. Uh, we intermingle some other tactics, and then we, you know, we put you guys behind the the long guns, which is a lot of fun. I mean, you shot out to eight hundred yards. You had that was my favorite. It was a meditation, actually. You, it was. Yeah. I think that was made for you to be honest. I loved it. I loved it because it was really about um, checking in with yourself and and being in your body, like fully inhabiting your body. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking about Chris Kyle, and I was thinking about all the. I had a lot of revelations when I was out there that I was waiting to share with you on the show. And I have so many great things to ask you as well that I was like holding on to. So so here's the jumping off point. Like my grandfather, uh, he was a brigadier general in the Marine Corps Mm -hmm. and and he was the first Italian American to be a brigadier general, uh, Joseph Mauro Padolino. Mm -hmm. And they had a huge parade for him in Passaic, New Jersey. They gave him the key to the city. Like it was really special. And I felt a deep connection with him when I was out there Mm. because he gave a lot for us. You know, like that generation and the sacrifices they made, like it, it brings up emotion in me because I think it's so easy to forget, Mm -hmm. like how challenging men have really suffered women as well. But right now we're just talking about my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Men have suffered in this world for freedom, for protection. Mm -hmm. And with your background and, and all the men that were there, it was like, I felt a taste of it. I felt a glimpse of potentially the brotherhood, the camaraderie that he went through because of the shared suffering. Mm. Like I mentioned this at, at your event, and I, I'm curious how you feel about this. It's the shared suffering that we go through as men mm-hmm. and also the shared play, mm-hmm. but that shared adversity, like it brings us together. Mm-hmm. There is something really special about that. And I can't always put the perfect words on it, but how do you feel about that? You know, with your time in the service and just all the work you do now with men, how do you see that play out? The adversity bringing men together and, and really creating brotherhood, but also the play. Cause it can be hard to balance both. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, I talk about this with men and, and what I learned from the military is that there's two ways to really bring men, people in general come together this way, but men especially is through extreme traumatic adversity. Like you're talking about, right? Like, so the military is one of those things you're, you're against, especially where we were, you're sometimes against really high, you know, insurmountable odds and you guys got to come out or even just through the training it's incredibly tough. But then I also found out that extreme excitement, that adrenaline, really, when you experience that with other men that no one else can really relate to in your life or around you, it's like, oh man, we are so bonded. Mm-hmm. Like we are so bonded. And and I saw it in all you guys, because I, I can see the message uh, feed still on Instagram. Everybody's going through and you guys are all still cranking right. out on there. So yeah. it's, it's really cool. But I agree with you. I, I think both ends of the spectrum can really bond people and bond men especially. And it just depends on which one they go through and and what that bond looks like. But both of them have, in my opinion, the same effect. One of the coolest things too, is I was like, not only were we not wearing masks, but there wasn't <laughs> even a conversation. Like that's, that's how freedom focused this mm-hmm. event was. Yeah. And um, look, I respect both sides of the coin. I think there's always value in other people's opinions and experiences. But when it comes to where we are right now, this is being recorded at the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really know, man, what's going to go down in 2022 as far as attacks on freedom or growth of freedom. We're kind of in limbo right now. So yeah. for us to be at that event and, and shoot ARs out of a helicopter and moving vehicles and eat some of the most amazing food, <laughs> like this did not come easy. Like putting on an event like this, mm-hmm. all the prep, all the emotional prep, uh, the timing, the logistics, the communication, like... It's a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Like what, what in your heart of hearts makes you really want to do this? 
I mean, in all honesty, it's watching you guys during the times that we check in and we start to really break open some of the guys who, uh, what's going on in their lives and how you guys connect and how you guys help one another. Like I'm just the catalyst for it, but you know, I, I said this multiple times at the event. I just truly believe that the men there are the event, you know, I'm just the catalyst and I throw some fun stuff in there and I, and I make sure that we kind of have the right prompts to really get guys to open up. But once you guys start on that roller coaster it just goes man and it goes on its own and it, and it fills my heart and soul but then i see it fill all the other men's heart and souls like sometimes in you're, you're very aware of this but a lot of times someone will just be listening and their most profound moment was listening to a guy speak yeah or listening to a conversation that was on the side like sometimes that's their most and that to me is the magic of it so that's what keeps me pushing to do this because you know, it is a lot to put on something like this. And it's, it does, it's a lot of prep work. I'm usually out here about a week early before the event prepping. And then obviously afterwards I'm drained, you know, from everything. But to me, that's totally worth it. And I enjoy being out there with you guys. Like I enjoy having fun shooting guns and mm-hmm. I didn't get to shoot too much this time, like at all, but <laughs> cause you guys, we were having you guys run through a lot, but, um, it's fun for me to be out there and to do that stuff with you guys because I get the energy from everybody and I get included in that. That's what I was wondering because you had everyone share in the last day. And for those people that are going to join, I'm not going to spill the secrets, <laughs> but you had you had some really great um, dyads and some really good opportunities for men to like connect with one another through shared vulnerability, which is a term that's thrown around a lot. Mm. Like you ever have somebody that you're talking to? And I think the, I think whoever is watching us right now can relate <laughs> when someone says, I'm about to be vulnerable, Johnny, like, <laughs> yes. like they almost signal it out. Yeah. And that's when I know that it's like strategic vulnerability. Mm. It's when they're, they're using quote, quote, vulnerability, but really it's because they want something with their vulnerability. Mm. And I think, I think true vulnerability is when you don't want anything, mm-hmm. you just, the only thing you desire is to be heard. Mm-hmm. The only thing you desire is just to really be honest and truthful. And I really appreciated how that was in your event. But when I looked back on your story mm-hmm. and I did the research about your parents splitting when you were 14, living in the tent, like all the stuff you've gone through, yeah. that was not the case for you. you. You were not born into this world to an emotionally intelligent parenthood. So let's, before we dig into the event and unpack some men's work, like let's pull the e-brake yeah. and go back to that time. Cause you said, you, I think you said in your about page, you were like, I, um, I started by not knowing Mm -hmm. and my parents split up when I was 14 and you're like, I really didn't want to be around them at all. Yeah. And then through your own journey, you ended up joining the military, but looking at you now, being able to experience you now. And really, I I told you when you got here today, like knowing a a deeper, more sensitive, more compassionate side of you than I did before. I'm amazed, Mm. you know, and I'd like to connect the dots of, of how you came from, really pain, like living in a tent is not easy. Having your parents split when you're 14 is not easy. What was that like? And and walk us through some of that story so people get to know you. Well, it's, it's amazing. I received that, dude. That hit my heart when you said that because... Um you know, to hear that from you means a lot. I look up to you. you you're, you've been a guidepost for me since I started this journey. So to hear that from you is really powerful. And thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, for me, it really like, honestly, I, I was fortunate in one of the key moments of my life of growing up is that I was very connected to my uncle. He's still alive. He's an amazing man. And my uncle and I, he's my godfather. He really had this, he had his own demons, but he had a healthy version of masculinity that I saw growing up. That was like, he was very much that protector 
but he was uh, he fought his whole life growing up. He grew up in the 50s in Buffalo, New York, was in a different high school every year, was the protector of the family, always treated women with the utmost respect, grew up in a time of segregation, but always was inclusive with whatever color skin you were or whatever amount of money you had, even mm. to this day. None of that changed him. And when I was a kid, he taught me uh, how to fight and like taught me that you, know, you don't go looking to fight people. You look to protect them. Yep. And you don't go actually searching to go hit somebody you you can hit them if they hit you first so he taught me a lot of that stuff but he was also goofy <laughs> and he was humble and he showed almost like you, you ever see Cary Grant maybe a lot of people might not know him old actor I've was, seen him yeah he was like yeah. a World War II bomber actually and he became an amazing actor but he huh. was very very similar he he could play this manly masculine role and then still laugh at himself and be super goofy. And you're like, holy crap. And that's what I envisioned it. So starting my journey was was really, that helped me. I always had that in me. And so even though regardless of what was going on in the material world, what was in me was very different. And I was very good at being present. And to my detriment and to um, to like my favor, it, it was something that actually helped me uh, in my life to to really not struggle when things got hard because I just literally lived in every day. Uh, it's also why I didn't go look for a college and ended up in a military <laughs> recruiting center, but um, it allowed me to dig into every day and just really experience the people in my life and, and what I was doing in those moments. And so for me, that presence helped me to get through the hard times of of not even realizing I was living in a tent. I actually thought it was kind of fun. So <laughs> why'd you have to live in the tent? Well, my aunt and uncle who I was close with my cousins, I grew up with them. They had three boys and I grew up with them. We were all kind of similar in age and we were super, super close. And my brother was living with my mom and my sister and I didn't want to be around my mom or my dad. I just kicked in my dad's front door because he tried locking me out of the house. Was it violent? Like, what was it like? I mean, no, they just, wasn't. it wasn't healthy in the sense that my dad was, you know, he would drink a lot and he'd be on pills at the same time. So it's like, tried to talk to him and you couldn't even have a conversation. Mm. And then my mom was so wrapped up in the divorce and codependency that it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy, I just never really liked the environment. So it wasn't abusive in, in that sense, but it just didn't feel good to me at all. And I knew that, well, where I felt really good was with my aunt and uncle and my cousins. And so I would go over there, but they had three boys sitting in the house and they didn't mm. have a big house. Mm -hmm. So we just came up with an idea to pitch a tent out back. And like, I lived in the tent, uh, out back for How long a, did you for a live? while. Man, I, I want to say, if I remember correctly, it was somewhere between like six months to maybe almost like 10 or 12 wow. months. Yeah. I, I lived back there for quite a while. That is crazy. I'm like, yeah. That's a long time for a 14-year-old kid. I yeah. mean, you're, you're not a man at 14. No, not by any means. <laughs> so there was something about your soul's journey. Like, have you reflected on this? You know, with all your time in the military and also how you serve men, like what was, what was both the most challenging part that really made you bleed? But then what was the gift? Mm. You know, I haven't in depth reflected on it, but if I went to the most challenging part, it was that I almost felt like I didn't belong. Mm. So I only belonged to myself. And so wherever I almost like a vagabond, like wherever I wanted to go or, you know, like the samurai, the Ronin, right. There's no master. Um, that was me. And I felt that way. And that would probably be the, the saddest part because it even kind of stopped me from connecting with my friends at school. Well, that, that was like my safe haven because I had a good community of friends. I wasn't like 
one-on-one close. We weren't checking in every day with each other. It was like, yeah, we'd be at school and then we'd go, you know, drink on the weekends, but they weren't calling me after school and we were on the phone for hours or like, Hey, we have to go do this. Like that, you know, that person that you're always with, especially in like high school, like that friend you always have. Most people had one. Yeah. I never had one. And so that was maybe because the fact that I felt like I didn't belong because of where I was in my life of living outside in a tent. And I wasn't even in the house with my aunt and uncle and my cousins. Right. And that, that really, if I look back on that, that's kind of the mentality I had as I was alone. Who went to your high school graduation? Um, well, to support you, man, that's a good question. I don't honestly think anybody did. Uh, as far as like family members, if anything, if I remember, it would have been my mom. My mom was always there for like sporting events and stuff. She was really yeah. good about that, but it would have been her. Um, but honestly, I don't even remember that anybody came. <laughs> yeah. there, There's like a lot of resonance with, I think, men that had a hard upbringing. You said there was no physical violence, but you know, the capital T trauma we all know, which is like sexual abuse, physical abuse, hardcore neglect, like those are pretty clear, but the lowercase t trauma can stack up. Mm. And I think for, for a lot of, and yes, we're focusing on men, but listen, a lot of these concepts apply to women. I'm just using the the masculine example because we're two men and that's where we are. But, but man, stacking up the lowercase t traumas one after the other, like being in the tent, having your parents split at a very vulnerable time for you, that's hard. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you deal with that? You know, my aunt always told me like, you were so angry. And I, and I was like, aunt Don, I I don't remember being angry. I just remember being present. I remember being alone, Mm. but I remember being present. And that's when I was talking to you about just a few minutes ago is that I think that presence saved me from feeling angry. You know, I was, I was actually more disappointed in my parents because they were acting like children in my eyes. Yeah. And for some reason, and, and we can talk about this too, but on my plant journey, I, I feel like maybe there's some deeper, um, more powerful ancestral things in my body that maybe my soul is older than who I am. And so I was really just more disappointed in them because I felt like they should have been able, like, I never felt like codependency was something that I, um, I could see in myself, but I saw that in both of them a lot, even though through the choices they made, that's what ended up breaking them up. But I saw so much codependency that it turned me off. And it was like this, I just felt so sorry and sad for them in that moment. So for me, everything hurt in the sense of spiritually it did, but it never broke me down. And I I didn't really resonate when my aunt said that. I I checked in inside, you know, to steal a term from you. I, I, I really did. And this was before I was even on this path. And I remember checking in and being like, was I angry? Yeah. Was I, was I really angry? And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, I kicked my dad's door in, but that was just kind of like, I was in the moment and he tried locking me out of the house. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't, I never drove around. I didn't drive my car around, like being angry with them. I didn't, I didn't re- uh, resonate with just like sleep, going to bed at night, being angry with whoever's in the house. I wasn't yelling at anybody. I just was very present. And I, like I said, I think honestly, that's been one of my superpowers in my whole life was being present. How do you be present without suppression? Because a lot of things occur. Some people say things happen to me. I am always in the mindset as much as I possibly can be, depending on how conscious I am, that something happens for me. 
instead of to me. Mm-hmm. But with your experience, I'm like, man, so many people are with us. And I know someone right now is like, how could he not have gone through some type of suppression? Mm-hmm. Or was that emotion moved? And did you get some of that maybe unconscious anger out in the military? Because that's a very challenging physical, like it's a very physical uh, thing to be, especially in the Rangers and everything that you accomplished in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, dive into that a little bit. Well, it's, it's really great because you're opening up my, my mind to so many different things and I'm tapping back into it. And one of the things I think about right now as I check in uh, with what I'm thinking about when you say these things is that um, it wasn't suppression, but I didn't think about it until I talked to somebody. Like I have a very, uh, I have a very visual memory, so I can, I can pick things up in moments and times in my life. I can tap back into them. If you remind me of like a picture, right? Or, or a scenario, all of a sudden I picture it and all the memories from that time come flooding back to me. But as I sit in a space with somebody, none of that is in my mind. Mm-hmm. None of it's in my mind until somebody asks me about it. People, people at the Wildman Experience were asking me about some of the military stuff, and I had to go tap back into it. It, it doesn't sit there in my mind. So I guess, like I said, it's it, it for me. It's more of like I can channel those memories, but if they're not being specifically targeted, they don't actually sit in in my like prefrontal cortex my cognitive cognitive state they don't sit there and i don't think about them i just think about where i'm at or what i got to do in the future more or less actually that's probably my my one thing that's going on these days but more or less the future when it comes to the past i i don't suppress it it doesn't creep up on me and all of a sudden i'm like crying or or grabbing a bottle and saying oh I, i can't deal with this that honestly has never happened to me in my life and I've, I've been blown up. We've been in gunfights. You know, it's just a lot of different stuff from the military, but none of that's crossed my mind when I'm just sitting down alone. Yeah. I feel like the nervous system that got wired for you and your soul contract, very different than the typical man. Mm. Because I'll be straight up. When I first met you, I was like, this is a really like kind-hearted, soft-spoken guy. I didn't even know really about your military background <laughs> or all the, all the really hard shit you've been through. And it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I told you at the event, I'm like, I'm fascinated by this guy Mm -hmm. because there's, there's like a, there's a deep presence that you have, but also I can understand in your background how that presence had to be created from some pretty big contrast, Mm -hmm. like seeing people you love die in a war, uh, protecting others, getting shot at. A lot of men get shell shock. A lot of people get PTSD from that. You told me that you haven't ever experienced that. Like, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you make up about your fabric of you, your moral fiber, your epigenetics, whatever you want to say? Like, what can you source with inside yourself that, that allowed you to not get PTSD and not get the trauma from these really hard experiences? Hmm. I would have to say that, uh, Part of, part of that is probably because my belief in what I was doing, especially when it comes to the military, superseded anything I actually did. And so a lot of people, when they see things and it impacts them, it's because of the fact that it's either unexpected or it's traumatic to the nervous system because they didn't ever think that that was a scenario they would encounter. But when I was in special operations, we all, we used to joke about it. We knew we'd be like, Hey bro, wipe my computer clean, you know, so my girlfriend doesn't see it. Right. Like we just would make jokes like that. And part of that humor was to help kind of downplay the seriousness of what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, it also was, you know, not sitting in that moment of fear and anarchy and stuff like that it really helped us to kind of get past it. So for, for me, I just, I didn't, um, 
I didn't absorb a lot of that because I felt like when I was connected to those moments of trauma, my mission was much bigger. My mission was for this flag, for this country, for my brothers next to me. Like that's the way that we perceived it. And that may sound cliche or very, you know, Jack Ryan, but it's it's truly what I, at least I held in my heart. And so whatever I was called to do on that mission, I painted the enemy in that fashion. And for good or for worse, right, that, you know, obviously they have families. Obviously they had a mission as well. But for good or for worse, I was the one that made out made it out of there alive. And my mission to me was what kept me from saying, oh my gosh, let me relook at this. Like, this was really bad what you did, Johnny. Like, this is terrible. Like, you really need to regret that and really mm-hmm. hold that. And I never held that emotion. I was like, no, my mission was bigger than that. And regardless of what it was calling me to do that time, as long as my brothers were safe. And, you know, I wear this. We lost a couple brothers um, over there. And so they knew the risk as well. And we all knew that they knew the risk. And so we dealt with that pain, but then we can't let our lives be held back by that because they, you know, what I think about, especially when it comes to losing these men overseas that we looked at as like superheroes. These two dudes were so badass, man. They were, who were they? Do you mind saying their names? Oh yeah. Ricardo Barraza and uh, Dale Brem. And they both were just like super badass, went in a room and just got, they were waiting for him. They got shot at, um, clean on the side this was before we had any side protective i remember i was telling you about the yeah. body armor before yeah. we had those side plates they actually got killed and brem uh Barraza got killed i think right when he went in the room brem got shot and then he actually killed the guy in the room that was hiding behind some rugs and stuff like that but then brem died afterwards but we all knew the risk like we all took that on every night like when when you're just running and gunning for hours on end chasing down terrorists we all knew that was what we were getting into and i think that was the mindset of being in special operations when i knew i was there even though i was there at 18 years old i knew what i was going to do there was nothing in my mind that said oh that might not happen no i was like every worst case scenario is probably going to show up Mm. and i need to be able to find something so before again this is why sometimes when actually when i'm hashing this out with you right now it like really hits me that like maybe there is an older soul in me because i never saw it as as you know having that hold that emotion in there i just always saw it as like i know what to expect we've game planned the worst case scenarios which is death and then i'm just like really resonating with my mission right now which was to keep keep myself safe as, as safe as possible, protect, protect all these men that are next to me and fight for this flag. Cause I really believe in what this country stands for. Yeah. And, um, gosh, so much there. So yeah. I just, you know, thank you for all you've done. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And thank you for all that you've sacrificed. I mean, it, like I said before, it's so easy to forget how challenging that war can be mm. on the psyche, on the hearts, on families. Like it's, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I've heard that war is a continuation of politics by other means. Mm. So you you have politics that don't work out. We have politicians that are extremely crooked, which every single decade get more and more and more crooked and actually disassociate from the people that voted them into office. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I've been feeling for the past three years, maybe even maybe even five years, and especially since the pandemic, especially since this has rolled out, that we're approaching something that we all need to be prepared for, not in fear about, not being victims about, 
But like I've purchased firearms. We did firearms training at mm-hmm. your program, which was incredible. It was like perfect timing. I literally bought the guns <laughs> and then we went right to the wild. That was experience. good timing. Yeah. It was it was awesome. But the reason I'm saying this is because people need a re-education of what freedom really is and how much freedom costs. Mm-hmm. Like I think about my grandparents coming over and their parents ended up at Ellis Island mm-hmm. and they were given names like the little boy and the Godfather. Like it's real. And that's only three generations back. Yeah. And then if you trace time even further back, the tragedies and the crazy stuff that our ancestors had to go through, it would actually be the biggest punch in the stomach and slap in the face and really spitting on our ancestors if we weren't prepared mm-hmm. to defend our freedoms because they're so easily taken away. Look at all these foreign countries mm-hmm. that are right now 20 degrees below um, any type of freedom that we have. And we don't even take the freedoms that we have and really appreciate them. Yeah. And you say that, and it's like, I just challenge anybody, go sit, go sit in a communist country, go sit and talk with the people in a socialist country. I've done this before. Mm. And it's devastating to hear like the pain in their, in their voices and to see the cities and how they're even built. You're like, man, this is really like, okay okay, why was this built this way? Because it's not pretty, but this is a gorgeous location. And then they're like, oh, you want me to tell you why? This is why. And you're like, holy crap, when you can't even smoke a cigarette and wear jeans in the city, you got to go sneak out to the mountains to do that with your friends. Go try talking to those people and tell them how much they love it because it's not fun. But that's, the you know... It's hard to see that. And and our forefathers wrote the Constitution the way they did because they saw this so easily being taken from us. And what and not to continue on this path, but I just want to say one more thing is that continue. When people yeah. when you look at what our forefathers even did and why they did it, George Washington had no ambition to be a president. He had no ambition for politics. And we have people who are raising children to be politicians. And I'm like, no. It's a service to the country like the military is, and you should be trying to do everything you can if you're in that position and when you get to that position to do the best thing possible for the American way of life because it's been such a light in this world for so long that as soon as it starts to deteriorate, and we've seen this, if, if you go back and look at news columns and stuff, when the United States starts to have infighting and complete deterioration of our own systems, more havoc happens outside our country because Everybody around the world, you know, if you want to believe this or not, regardless of what side of the fence you are on, I've spent a lot of time in in very foreign countries from Africa to Asia to Europe to South America. I spent a lot of time in different places. And where we go as a country, everybody follows. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we've we've created ourselves through... Um, in my opinion, through the economic infrastructure that we've created and through the ability to prop up economies through tourism and stuff like that, I think that we've actually helped these nations rise out of some of the, you know, really destitute states that they were in. And so when that happens, if we pull that type of plug, for instance, if all of a sudden the Department of State deems your country uh, a really bad place and they put a a higher threat level on you, well, you're not going to get tourism from the United States. And so no one's going to go there and now your economy is going to crumble if we propped it up that way, which a lot of these countries we have. And so when you look at that and also through the economic state, you know, how much money we funnel out to countries for goods, right? That we're, we're now bringing in through this globalization that we've created. 
we hold countries up. And as soon as we pull that, the countries know, okay, well, you know, now we're going to go back to something that's complete anarchy. And so I think because the fact that we've put ourselves in that position through years and years and years of economic improvement within our own country, we've now created this that wherever we go, everybody else goes. If we say jump, a lot of these countries are going to be like, I got to jump too, because they're, you know, US is jumping. Right. And so you're watching it even happen right now with the pandemic. You're watching how people are dealing with COVID, how they're dealing with masks, how they're dealing with all this stuff. If the US turned around tomorrow and said no more masks, I promise you, you would see so many headlines from every other country around the world removing masks. I promise you, mm-hmm. wouldn't even be a question. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, it takes something like that for people to realize, oh, wow, we, they really do follow us. Yeah. And we're going to link cause we could go on a total tangent, yes, I know. <laughs> and, but I, but I love your tangent. So right below this video, there's links for three episodes that go deep into what Johnny's talking about. And like, it's really valid. So I implore everybody like study, like yep. pay attention because we're spending our attention, our currency on things that are actually hurting us. We're paying attention to things that don't matter. And the things that do matter are kind of being neglected and really abused in the background. So well, it's, that's real. It's, that's it's, happening every moment of every day on every cell phone in America. Absolutely. And it's, and it's even furthering that just for a second here, it's like watching the way that they're trying to keep us separate. And you've talked about this numerous times, but keeping us separate and not interacting with another, uh, one another, even from an energetic level, right? Yeah. Like the six foot of difference. Yes. Um, it, we're not even connecting as human beings anymore in these energetic fields that we know are actual science. It's, it's not fake. It's mm-hmm. not woo woo, but they're not even, they're trying to disassociate us from each other so they can continue to keep separation have you, uh, Tom O'Neill has that book chaos that I just listened to. And you look at what they did back in the seventies and the sixties and the fifties with these secret programs from the FBI and the CIA. And you're like, holy crap. And it's real stuff. There's papers. Yeah, There's Mockingbird, documents on this. Mockingbird's real. A lot of these things are real. COINTELPRO chaos from the CIA, COINTELPRO from the FBI. It's nuts. So all of this takes us down a rabbit yeah, hole. Sorry. And, <laughs> no, but to be honest, like the rabbit hole has gems in it and has knowledge and has wisdom in it. It's just that because we're in this age of over-information where anything can be accessed anytime Mm -hmm. from a tablet or a phone, there also can be, and I hate even using this term, misinformation. There is misinformation out there. But the difference between a conspiracy theorist and somebody who doesn't think they are Mm -hmm. is about six months. (laughs) (laughs) I I heard that the other day. I'm like, it's about six months for you to realize the things that conspiracy theorists were freaking out about, they're at your doorstep (laughs) six months later. So um, to change gears though, to change gears, like a lot of what we're talking about is completion energy. It's what's going on. And the masculine energy is completion energy. Like feminine, in my opinion, Kali is real. Mm -hmm. Like the feminine rage is real, but so Mm -hmm. is the feminine nurturing. And we all have these energies inside of ourselves. But when I think about like the true essence of masculinity, and and I guess you say, you know, you're the host of a show, it's called the art of masculinity, which I love. I love that because it really is. And art is something you never, ever fully master. Mm -hmm. It's something that you always practice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool because with everything we've talked about up to this point, there is so much greater of a practice needed in this world to be truly masculine, to be Mm -hmm. a really embodied masculine man. So how would you even define that to be an embodied masculine man, knowing that there's the feminine side of us and there's the masculine side of us and, and we get to understand all of those things on a continuous basis? Like, How would you define embodied masculinity? What does that mean to you? 
Well, I mean, you're a big fan of etymology, and we had these conversations this weekend. So <laughs> we're talking about cisgender. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but when we dive into etymology, like what is masculinity, right? And the we, I'll butcher this because I won't say it verbatim, but essentially masculinity, the definition of it is saying that um, presenting, uh, it's like presenting masculine features. How arbitrary is that? Interesting. So then you're like, okay, so you're using the root of the word in the definition. So I know you don't know what you're talking, what like it really yeah. is. You haven't defined it. Yeah. So then you go to masculine, and masculine says um, it's something along the lines of of what is considered to be manly traits within society or something like that. Hmm. Okay. So it's something along those lines. So we look at the etymology here, and you're like, huh, that's pretty subjective. Because if I was sitting in Florida as a man, and if I was sitting in New York City as a man, there's going to be two very different perspectives. Right One, there. you need to wrestle alligators. <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. See how smart of a man you are. <laughs> right. Or for Louisiana, I got to go noodling, right? Like, right. <laughs> but you're, you look at this and you're like, huh, even regionally, this is different. Now, take that United States man, say from New York or Florida or from wherever you're from, just imagine you getting plucked out of the United States and dropped in, let's say, Italy. You are not going to align with their version of masculinity, I promise mm -hmm, you. It's mm -hmm. very different. And so when we start to look into masculinity, even in its essence, it's subjective. It's subjective to us. So when we talk about men being masculine and, and embodying masculinity, well, what does that really mean? I think that means, in my personal opinion, to find what it is that resonates with you in your heart and in your soul and be that man every day and be that man in every moment and find the honesty in it. Because when you do, when you find that honesty in any conversation and who you are, guess what you relieve yourself from? You relieve yourself from grief. You relieve yourself from regret, from stress, from questioning. You just say, hey, no, I showed up exactly how I wanted to as a man because that mm -hmm. felt good to me and I resonated with that. Yeah. But without using the, the trending word of authenticity, that's really what it falls. But it's giving an explanation of what authenticity looks like because authenticity in my eyes is what resonates with your heart and your soul. Whatever that means, it doesn't necessarily say that there's a prescription for it because you can't find one. So if there's no prescription for it, there are certain features around that can say we can say are collectively universal with men to some extent, but it's not always true because mm. I can find numerous I can find numerous cultures that don't value those things. Yeah. Before we get into those, because I want to ask you what those are. Before that, what are some of the things you see right now and the things that you maybe see in the past few years that are deemed masculinity or that are deemed to be masculine, but really aren't. In other words, like what, what are some of the things that are myths about being masculine, about being an embodied masculine person that you see being toted around? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, because there, I think there is, um, there's, there, there's an ability to connect with your femininity and then there's an ability to, to overemphasize and, ex, and a, a exaggerate femininity for the sake of maybe attention or for the sake of... Uh, for <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. The right. guy on the top of the hill in Encinitas, like with a big crystal hanging from his neck and like a flowing cape and like, you know, I really want to connect with the feminine. But you can tell there's like a disingenuousness to it. It doesn't yeah. feel real. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's what we're seeing a lot of today. While while men are like men are being told that we're allowed to have vulnerability, which we are, and while we're allowed to connect with emotions, um, which we are, 
there's this over-exaggeration of femininity where it becomes really like, is that authentic? Because it seems very forced. And I think a lot of people mm. are forcing an over-emphasization. Am I making up words now? No. Um, emphasizing. That's a, good, that's a nice one. <laughs> Say that three times fast. But uh, really just emphasizing um, the, this extension of, of what society wants to see because they want to pander to the PC kind of culture. And instead of embracing their own true authenticity, which says maybe a little bit of that is who I am, they're trying to go way overboard so they're seen as something different and then potentially becoming martyrs to the masculine community, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I, that's one of the things that I see. Um, another thing I see on the flip side of things is that, you know, guys are carrying around uh, this level of anger and judgment, and they're taught that that's what men are really supposed to be like. If, if, you're, the, if you're the mechanic and you're out grinding every day, it's okay to come home and have a beer and not talk to your family and to mm. you know, be angry when one of them wants something from you. And then to show that anger in, a, in any way, shape, or form that you feel is appropriate. Like, no, that's another version of masculinity that's told that's okay and being presented in some of the people out there. And, and there's people even in this field that kind of are holding to some of those values that were, were given to us as men at young ages, like that anger and like that judgment and like that um, really resentment for other men who don't meet your standard. All of that was given to them, and then we have men today still promoting that as masculinity. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, how is that serving you, the Mm -hmm. community, or the betterment of the next generation of men? If you're stifling still all of these things that are coming up with you and your only exposure to it is through anger and through – toxicity in your actions and words. You and I very much agree on toxic masculinity and that should not be a term out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in all reality, in their actions, they're obviously not good. So when somebody's doing that and they're taught that that's okay and they're just continuing to exacerbate that, that's not correct masculinity in my eyes either because there is that balance of femininity that you're just completely neglecting. So that embodiment is finding that tapping into both and balancing them out so that you're, you know, you're aligned with who you are and you're also teaching that next generation what it looks like to really embrace both sides of the fence and say like, hey, uh, an embodied man is somebody who can sit here and be with himself and be with his demons and not project that and be a victim to the world and then show that in anger. Mm. But we're taught. We're taught these things. Absolutely. Who taught you or, or maybe who didn't teach you anything with Left a Void um, makes a big impact mm-hmm. as an adult. And then you have to have the courage. This is the key. You have to have the courage to explore either what you didn't get or what you got that really isn't authentic to you mm-hmm. as a man. And that can be like a full stop fucking holy shit moment yeah. where everything possibly that men have built their lives on crumbles to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his work. I don't believe everything he says, but some of the things that, that Garrett White has talked about mm-hmm. have been really instrumental because he was on a live once. I haven't thought about this in a year. This is so cool. Yeah. And he was crying because he went to his old house to move out of his old house and there was a pot and I guess there was a fire on the deck and they had cleaned everything out and they hadn't been there in months. And there was this little plant, this little green plant that was growing up and he started crying and he was like, wow. You know, as men, like we have to be willing to let everything burn to the ground, Mm. lose your job, lose your wife, lose your everything, lose your identity, 
Because sometimes like the metaphor of the phoenix rising through the ashes is really the greatest moment in a man's life. Mm -hmm. You know, it definitely was for me in 2015 when I started this podcast. If you'd have told me that I'd be sitting here talking to you (laughs) and sharing real connection and being able to do what we do, I would have been like, I don't even think that's possible. Yeah. You know, but it was possible because I was on a golf course crying, praying to God, like willing to die for what I believed in. Mm. And so when I, when I look at you and when I experience you, and even before we get into the variables of what it means to be a masculine man, mm-hmm. man, when you came back from the military, you had to have reflected on how am I showing up to my wife? Because I believe that was your first wife. Uh, that was after I did uh, protection. So you so, did protection. Yeah. Yep. So when you got home, there was that burning down for you. You had to burn some things down so you could start over and meet Taylor, who's a wonderful soul. Yeah. But you had to let some shit burn to the ground. Yeah. So tell us, take us to that moment so we can understand you. That was, you know, that was just, um, you know, a few years ago. So it's not even that far removed from like vice versa. If you would have told me I'd be sitting here across from you talking about all of this thing, all these things about masculinity and really connecting with who we are and looking internally, I would have been like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like, no way. I came home with so much judgment and anger towards other men as looking at them as weak. I used to think this, my biggest hang up for even getting into the self-development field was because my mindset was if you were using self-development, you were weak-minded. You couldn't handle life yourself, right? What a joke, right? And I was running from my own insecurities. That's why. That was my protection. That was the justification my brain made. And it said, oh, you don't need to do those things. And everybody's doing them this week. Well, it's because my brain was like, dude, you got a lot of things you're protecting right now that you're holding on to that I don't really want to expose to you right now. (laughs) So so I was like, okay, that was my mindset. But when I got to that moment... um, it actually, my moment of, of turning that mindset was when Taylor and I were friends. But when I got back from the military and I just held so much resentment and anger and judgment towards men, because if they didn't meet my standard, I was like, get, get out of here, dude. And what was your standard at that time? It was just such a high standard of owning, of owning this uber um, alpha masculine, of controlling every situation, of being the baddest dude in the room, of making sure that, you know, uh, everybody was protected. And if some guy was walking around that was bigger than you, you could tell yourself, well, you know, I could take his kneecaps out, put his knee right on my face and we're good to go. Like, it, like you always made these justifications of why, like you saw somebody, if they, if they, if they challenged you on something you wanted to be, you had to make an excuse of why you were better. That was kind of that standard that I was at. And I was like, dude, I was an army ranger. Come on, dude. I was a sergeant in army rangers. I was kicking in doors, you know, pinning people to walls, holding guns, blowing stuff up. Then I was doing protection for the U.S. ambassador. Like, come on, dude, I can handle myself in a situation. And so when I got back, my standard was, well, if I saw you and you were kind of looked, you know, quote unquote, metro, I was like, that dude can't grab a gun and do anything, or that Mm. guy doesn't know what it's like to blow something up. So even if he was like better looking than me, I'd be, and that was what was setting me off. I'd be like, oh, he's not to my standard. So then I'd have anger towards him and resentment, and I'd create that. I'd generate these stories, epigenetics, in a bad way, right? I was, I was creating this story for myself, for my genes to to kick out certain reactions for my own um, situation. And then I was exposing myself to that chemical release in my body of, of that anger and resentment and stress and anxiety and all those things. Cause that's all really what it paired down, up to. Um, so when I did that, that was my level of standard was just like, you had to be able to take care of yourself physically and mentally, which I'd been through a lot of hard things mentally, I'd sat with myself, but I never really sat with myself. And we can dive into that. Yeah. But um, 
I'd been with myself in the middle of the woods, nobody there for you, a freaking map in my hand and grid coordinates. And I had to find this little pole that's no bigger than that light right there in the middle of the freaking trees in Georgia. And I had to find like 10 of them. Right. And I've done that repeatedly. So you had to be able to take care of yourself. You had to be able to, to sit with yourself. You had to be able to protect other people. You had to be able to to be in a dark alley and not be scared. You couldn't be scared of anything. You had to be able to adjust and take it on. So when any, when any guy would, would even sit across from me and they would be like, Oh yeah. Like, man, that terrifies me. You jumped out of airplanes. I'd be like, dude, this guy is such a bitch. Like we can't Mm. be friends. And it's like, how toxic is that to me? How did you let go of that thinking? Cause I, I would assume that part of that might actually be healthy in a survival situation. But in a non-survival situation, you know, if you're going to Starbucks and you're like reintegrating back into civilian life and you're here with the rest of us, yep, uh, not exactly easy. So, nope. so you actually wrote on your website too, that when you got back, this is when you're with your, your first wife, yeah. that that was like part of the burning down. That was mm-hmm. part of the coming to grips with how you were showing up. Yeah. So take us there because- I think a lot of people deal with this that go through stressful or maybe like life-threatening situations. They come back home. I remember in American Sniper, like that was what Chris Kyle struggled with. Mm-hmm. He like couldn't reintegrate back into society. Yeah. How did you reintegrate and what was the price that was paid? The price was was my marriage. And um, it was, I, I was drinking way too much. I wasn't an alcoholic by any means, but I would, you know, everything was living for the weekend. When Friday hit, it was bourbon and I was smoking a uh, pork butt shoulder on my back deck and calling my brother half drunk and like hanging out, right? No connection with my wife um, at the time. And then it was just, it was actions that weren't serving me to ever be better. It was watching, sitting down and watching football games. I'm a huge sports fan. And, but I've put all of that away because I look at it now as like, dude, what could I be doing that could really be helping either who I am or my marriage or my life? I know. Dude, and, I, and I'm like- That's exactly what I feel. Three hours to watch a game. I'm like, dude, there's so many things I could have done that would have been more productive for me. And it's like, for what? To sit there and say, I watched I watched the Buffalo Bills win a game. It's like, no, oh, come on. Like, really? That, that Anyways, I, I got down that you know path of just doing a lot of actions that were setting me up for a lot of bad routines that were then setting me up for a lot of bad mindsets. Yeah. And so when I would I would do that it just created, you know, a bad marriage. We weren't connected, then she drifted apart. So then her her own mindset wasn't uh in a positive place for our marriage. We were I mean, I'd be downstairs in the basement watching football and she'd be up in the in the living room. We're a young couple. And she'd be up in the kitchen watching, you know, Downtown Abbey or Downton Abbey. How do you say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Downtown mm-hmm. Abbey. She'd be watching that and I'd be downstairs and then she'd like bring me some food. I was like, dude, this is so bad. And then finally there was um, the year before we separated, I had a conversation with her. I was like, every time we talk, it's so much fire and hate and anger I was like, we're not connected. We're not having sex um, like once every six months. Seriously, I'm not even joking. Like in six months, we didn't have sex. And you're just like, this is miserable. But you also have to own your position in that. And Mm -hmm. so when my transition happened and I uh, finally came home permanently from working overseas, I had all of that mindset really playing into this culmination of what was a divorce. And then I sat down and I said, wow, 
great job, Johnny. You were a badass overseas. You did a lot of stuff. And you still can't protect yourself from not being what a man's supposed to be, which is somebody who can hold his marriage together. And I was like, oh, shit, this isn't good. And I really started to have my own downward spiral um, psychologically and who I was as a man. What did I represent anymore? I wasn't fighting for a flag. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was anymore. I had no standard. That was another thing. I was like, dude, where's your standard? You're judging all these dudes. Where the fuck is your standard Yeah, for yourself? This is the place it feels like, or at least I can, I can sense it, that you started to build yourself mm -hmm. back up like brick by brick. Yeah. So was there like a rock bottom moment before you gathered the first brick? Um, the rock bottom moment for me was uh, even after the marriage, I was friends with Taylor at the time. And so, um, no, actually, the rock bottom moment was, was really the divorce. I, I felt terrible because that was like, when I check in with this, my heart hurts when I think about it because she was deeply a good person inside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I loved, loved, loved her family, but I wasn't going to sacrifice my life and my happiness because I loved her family. And I wasn't going to be a martyr just because she was a good person. She is a good person. We weren't good together. We yeah. weren't the right fit together. When I, when I finally hit that moment, and I was still drinking a lot, so that was still too. I was like, I hate who I am when I drink. I like literally hated who I was when I would uh, drink because it was all or nothing for me. It was either hammered or nothing. Yeah. And so I was like, I hate it. I'd said stupid shit. I'd act stupid ways. Like I was never violent, but when I reflected on the, the night before, I'd be like, dude, you, 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 that is not somebody I respect. So that was my rock bottom. I was having those moments way too often. And then we ended in a divorce. And my first brick that I picked up was I had to give myself purpose again, in passion. And it was a short-term purpose. It wasn't my life's purpose, but it was bodybuilding. And I've always been somebody who's been into fitness. And when I gave myself a goal of doing a show, and I'm very good at when I give myself a goal, I hit it. Um, I was relentless about making sure I showed up the best on stage that I could for that. So I took 12 weeks and I prepped for a show and Taylor came into my life around that time. And we were, we had already been friends at the gym, but she came in as more of a, a, a deeper friend at that time. And she, um, she tossed me a book from Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I was like, I'm not reading this. I already told you how I feel about, you know, self-development. This is, this isn't happening. The old you would have made fun of the you now. Oh, absolutely. Hardcore. Oh, absolutely. He'd Who's be like, this dude with the beard and the long hair? For real. He's wearing beads. He's into <laughs> books. He's talking about emotions. Right. Like, isn't that crazy? We all go through this. Oh. So, so you're literally going on the stage and you start to cultivate this, this love, friendship with her. What was it? Ayurvedic medicine, as well as all the ancient and contemporary masters in health and wellness have taught us for centuries about the powerful benefits of apple cider vinegar. But what do we do when we want to take the ACV, but we don't want to expose our teeth to acids? Most people don't know this, but apple cider vinegar is an acid and prolonged exposure to acids can damage your teeth. So how do we get in the brain boosting, blood sugar stabilization, stamina, focused energy and healing powers of this ACV without ruining the enamel on our teeth? This is where it gets easy with our partner, Paleo Valley, creators of the apple cider vinegar complex taken easily in tablet form without busting your tooth enamel. Paleo Valley created the ACV complex to meet getting organic apple cider vinegar into your body 
easy, fast, and without having to tolerate the taste, you know, that kind of like, <laughs> have you ever done a shot of apple cider vinegar? I know a lot of people that literally just can't handle the taste. So this is all your organic turmeric, ginger, Ceylon cinnamon, and lemon on top of the organic apple cider vinegar combined with these superfoods. It's nature's way of saying you're welcome. ACV can stabilize blood sugar, promote weight loss, and improve protein absorption and digestion, as well as the big one, stopping heartburn symptoms. Heartburn symptoms are typically caused by too little stomach acid, not really too much. This apple cider vinegar complex makes getting this organic ACV into your body fast and easy and without having to choke on the taste of normal ACV. You can do this. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh and get 15% off your apple cider vinegar complex. That's wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh to get 15% off your ACV complex. So you're literally going on the stage and you start to cultivate this this love, friendship with her? What was it? Um, no, she was just, she was there as a friend. It was deep support and she wanted nothing more for me than to just get better, right? Mm. And, and, to, and to find who I could be in this world outside of the military. Because at this time, I was still very much struggling with like, who was I showing up as every day as a man? Like, again, what were my standards as a man? And I had, I had some in the sense of like old foundational pieces that my uncle had instilled in me from that two to eight years old when you're in theta and you're having that programming run for your masculinity. I was there and I had some of those, but it wasn't truly me. It wasn't a choice by me to define what those were, and I, I was really finding it hard to do that. So when 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 we became good friends, she started to talk to me about self-development. She'd been in that space, and actually, you were one of the people she named. And first off, um, she gave me the book, and I put that down for months. I was like, I'm not reading this. And then she tosses me, hey, I, I think you really like dig. And I think this was after you may have done Mark Divine stuff, because she's. Mm. I think she saw some- This is like 2016, 2017? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she saw like that stuff on you and she, she had been listening to you for a while. And she's like, Hey, I, th I think you'd really like mesh with this guy, Josh Trent. I think I see you being somebody who could speak like him to people and really help. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not having a guy tell me who to be, and I'm not listening to fucking podcast. And you're like, he's got a Metro haircut. I know. Like, no I was way. like, this dude, what is he doing? Yeah. Oh man. So, so I was like, okay. Well, then we were in the kitchen one day and, and she put, um, she was hanging out at my place. We were just hanging out and she, she would bring her dog over. Our dogs would play. And, uh, she, she was like, put on a podcast and she put on a couple podcasts. One was you, one was, uh, Lewis house. And, and, uh, all of a sudden I started to hear some pieces and I was like, oh, that was fucking good. All right. Well, what, what do I do with this now? And then she would leave. And then all of a sudden I found myself listening to more podcasts. And then I found myself picking up Excuses Be Gone. And then Excuses Be Gone became just like, for a lack of better term, it was a metaphorical punch in my nuts because it called me out for all my insecurities. Every excuse I'd been, been, been making about why I didn't want to dive into who I truly was, everything just came out of me because he calls it out. The way Dr. Wayne Dyer writes, it, even though he was a high intellect, he didn't write that way. He wrote like slapping you in the face. And that's what happened to me. So then when I started to dive into that, it started to be like, oh, 
now I can really try to find who I am. I'm starting to pick up tools. I'm starting to really understand what people are talking about when it's self-development. It is self-development because you're looking into self. You're not vi- playing the victim. You're not saying the external uh, yeah. situation is, is dictating who I am anymore. And that was my 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 first brick was was uh, the bodybuilding, and my second brick became actually picking up the books and listening to the podcasts of people I began to really respect. Wow, I just got a full chill moment because since day one, it's always been the mission with Wellness Force. How do we discover physical, which is what you started, mm-hmm. and then emotional, which is the second brick, intelligence. Yeah. So we can live our life well. Yeah. Because the body's a subconscious mind, and you don't have to read um, a lot of books to know that. I think whatever we're feeling shows up on the body, whether mm-hmm. it's extra weight or disease or whatever. Um, God, there's so much to unpack there, dude. <laughs> and I think the a good place would be when you really started to feel the momentum, like you're with Taylor now, mm-hmm. you're building the podcast. Um, what was that like to learn about yourself? And what were some of the things that when you look back, you go, wow, I, I held on to this belief or I held on to this way of being for a really long time. And when I let it go, it was like a big, huge, fresh deep breath of air. Oh, like, what were those things? Well, one of them was so it's so easy because it's that um, you know, coming from that elite background, that alpha background, I was like you have to know everything. You have to be capable to do everything. And that was a standard I held myself to. So when I started down this path and started building it and I was like, "Bro, I am lost. I am freaking struggling to figure out what I'm putting out there to help men. I'm struggling to figure out how to get simple stuff set up, like how to freaking do the podcast and how to get <laughs> Instagram started and stuff like that. It can that. be hard. It can be. Yeah. But I was like, bro, you, you've been through so many hard things and this mental stuff is taxing you. You have three degrees. It's not like you you don't know how to be educated and like do the work. Like I'm like what the hell is going on? And I felt like so much anxiety and stress and struggle in me. And I would refuse to ask for help. And because I was, I expected myself to know everything. And when I finally pushed that away and said, no brother, like this is like, you need help from other men. You need Mm -hmm. help from guys who are doing this. Um, it was very powerful when I put that down, that pack down, because all of a sudden I felt like, oh shit, little Johnny's not alone anymore. Remember back to the tent, little Johnny's not alone anymore. He's He's got people in this world that really believe in him and believe in his mission and believe in his story. And you were one of them. Chris Harder was one of them. Um, numerous people that I've picked up along the way have been really, really big supporters of it, of my stuff. And if I text them, they're right on back to me. And it's like, hey, how do I do this? Let's hop on a call. I'll walk you through it. And I was like, whoa, people actually just want to help me and they don't want something from me? (laughs) This is insane. And then I can ask for help and people aren't judging me as like, you know, I made that story up. I was emasculated if I asked for help. If I asked Josh for help, all of a sudden, Josh is more of a man than me because he knows something more, right? This is the story I wrote. And it was emasculating. And so when I finally lifted that off, I was like, oh, this feels great. I don't have to know this stuff and I don't need to go down rabbit holes all the time that end in, in nothing that actually shows me how to get it done. I can call people who are doing it and who have done the missteps and they'll be like, hey, well, don't go right right now because I did that before. Let, let, let's go straight for a second, a little longer than you want to, and then you can hit right. You know, and that was, that was power, man. That was power for me. And it was hard. That was probably one of the hardest things I ever, 
ever had. And you, you gave me something uh, when we, because you've been on the show a couple times, but you gave me something early on. And you said, brother, just remember, like the podcast stuff, it may be difficult the first couple years. And yeah. you weren't trying to, you weren't trying to set me up like to, I remember to have this that conversation. perception. Yeah. But you gave me a piece of wisdom that you had experienced and you're just like, kind of like stay with the mission, bro. Don't give up just because things get a little difficult. And to be honest, I don't think you know how important those words were to me. Probably about like, uh, it was up and down the first year, but then about like right after the first year into that second half of the the second or the first half of the second year, dude, it was like, should I just hang this up? Like this sure. is becoming like stressful. This is just like really hard. I got to find good people to be on People here. don't realize like running a successful podcast is a full-time job. Yeah. Like you really have to cross off a lot of T's and dot a lot of I's and wear a lot of hats and do all the things. Mm -hmm. So like I totally honor and respect your path on that. And there was something that, oh, okay. That I wanted to ask you this. When you started to grow the podcast and when you started to really step out, because mm -hmm. I totally resonate when you said the thing about not wanting help. Mm -hmm. Like I think, you know, if I'm being honest, which hell yeah, I'm being honest. A lot of what I've accomplished in my um lifetime, even being a trainer for 10 years, and then maybe even part of starting this podcast, which is my discovery to unfold, was trying to prove to the world that mm. I could be successful. And maybe even trying to prove to my father, because we all have a unique father wound, mm -hmm. um, to prove to my father that I could do it without his help, mm -hmm. to prove to fill in the blank. I didn't need anyone. So I think, I think that's a really shared universal wound for the masculine, yeah. like not wanting to offer help because, or not wanting to ask for help. Because if I if I need help, then that means I'm somehow less of a mm -hmm. badass. I think we all feel that for sure. Yeah. But but when you started to get some real momentum and when things started to catch, I have found in my own experience, I'm curious how you feel, that when things start to really catch, that's when the saboteur comes up. Mm -hmm. And that's when the real challenges, it's almost like um, the eyes of karma come out from the shadows. Yeah. And karma wants to pay, have its debts paid. When, when you're being successful. So have you experienced that at all? Oh yeah, recently, man. I'm still, I, I am like, I'm like Josh Trent, like probably a couple years back in that journey. I'm sure you can resonate with, with the stuff that I've been going through recently, but things would start going well. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, you didn't do any of that. Someone well, else What is that? Is that like a voice in your shoulder? Is it yeah. like, a, like a dark yeah. Jiminy Cricket? Like, what, yeah, how would like, you describe it? <laughs> how, I would love you that. how would you describe that voice? Because we all have it. Some, it was, it's a dark Jiminy Cricket. It, it really is. It's that voice that's just sitting there and he's like, you didn't do any of that. Like that came to you because of this person, this person, this person. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't do that. And you can't repeat that. That's the one thing that gets me all the time. You can't repeat that. You, you just did something really cool. Like, First off, we're not going to celebrate it because you didn't do it. And second off, you can't repeat that. So don't celebrate it. It's not, it's not a win for you. And that's the story that, that the dark Jiminy Cricket hops up, and he loves to tell me that one. And that's the one that I fought through um, this last year, actually, because the podcast has really gotten a lot of traction with some great guests. Um, we, it, it, with the wild man experience, we've started to get more traction with a pipeline with guys who are just like ready to throw down and get out there and just be part of it. Um, we've gotten, uh, I've gotten more things done with, uh, my programs that I run for men where guys are just like messaging me out of the blue, like, Hey brother, let me know when the next one's over. I've never had this. Mm. This is literally a first time. And I'm like, yeah, things are going smooth. This is great. And then little dark Jiminy Cricket comes up and he's like, bro, it's not going great. It's going great right now, but tomorrow's going to be bad. 
Yes. You know, tomorrow's tomorrow's not going to be good because you, you can't do this again. This is just fortune right now. This is this is luck. This is the epitome of luck. You're not driving this, and that's the that's the argument I fight with myself every day, um, honestly. And that's something that I have to conquer every morning. Like, and th- that's for reals. That's even mm. up until that's we, honest when we yeah when we went to the wild man like. Even up to that, I have to conquer that every day. And maybe conquer is not even the right word. I, I need to I need to get my mind in a position that it says that that's not the truth, you know, and, and allow myself to give grace to who I am and to give myself the, the understanding that I do create my outcomes. I do. I'm the one that makes the connections with people. I am the one that's putting myself out there. Why guys are coming in and even reaching out to me about mm-hmm, this? Mm-hmm. It's not. It is repeatable, and it's always repeatable. Um, so I have to conquer that, or or I have to work with that every every morning. That's part of my morning routine. I, I do everything I can to set my mind up to not have dark Jiminy Cricket come out that day. Wow. I mean, the the dyad of you, the evolved Johnny, like Johnny 2.0, Johnny higher self, not versus, but just in cohabitation mm-hmm. with the dark Jiminy Cricket, the lower self, whatever you want to yeah, say. The I one like bo- the dark Jiminy Cricket. The dark, <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of picturing like your Jiminy Cricket would have like a beard and long hair, <laughs> but his clothes would be all gnarled. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he really wouldn't be clean. Maybe, no. he, maybe he wouldn't be as muscular. But he's he's part of you, and I think you know Jung talks about this as our shadow, the collective shadow, and the, and the shadow inside of ourselves. And this might be a really interesting time to pivot to your journey with Mother Ayahuasca, mm. because I think that it happened just a few months ago, and people know my experience, and a, and a big part of my life has been definitely shaped and impacted for the better True. because of my plant medicine experiences. But one thing that I got from your story, and I'd love for you to share this story, for any man who's looking to reconnect with the mother that we walk on, that we're from, and also the feminine side of himself, mm-hmm. did, you, did you feel like it was something where when you were presented with the challenges and the ordeals in the ceremony that you really were prepared for it? Or did you feel unprepared? What even made you want to go out to Peru and do that in the first place? Because it's not like something that someone just decides on a whim to do. Like this mm-hmm. has been in your field for a while yeah. for you to want to go do an experience like this. What even made you want to go? Um, I mean, full honesty, because that's that's just you know me, but it, full honesty is it, it wasn't really me that said, I want to go do it. My wife, um, Taylor wanted to hop out there for her birthday. She she had been recently called to ayahuasca and she'd done it in Costa Rica, but we had this amazing opportunity to work with a, a group out of Peru in the Sacred Valley. And um, she really wanted to do it for her birthday. And I was like, you know what? I'm not scared of it. I'll go do it. I wasn't necessarily thrilled because I was like, I don't know what's going to come up. Like, <laughs> do you have, yeah. Got a lot going on. My from, the, from the tent to the military to everything. Were you like, what the fuck am I going to find? Uh, that. And I was also kind of freaked out. Like, you know, you hear some of these people who, who have their, their, their journey becomes something where they're actually physically going, getting up and doing something. Yeah, right. N- not necessarily hurting people, but they're getting up and moving. And and I know in in ayahuasca ceremony, you don't really want to touch that person while they're in their journey, nor anybody else under it. And so I was like, dude, if I'm that guy that does that, like, there's a high likelihood this is going to happen. I don't know what's going to come up. I have no clue, because um, there's like you said, there's just so much to my past. Um, so I was I was more scared of myself than I was scared of of doing the plant medicine, um, but I was like, you know what? 
my wife wants to do this. I've been I've been in the the circle of people talking about it. I know enough about it to to understand that the medicine works with you and gives you what you need in that moment. So there was a point where I got before I even got to the in Peru, I got real excited because I was like, I'm gonna have epiphanies, my business is gonna blow up. This is gonna be great. And then I get there and none of that happens for me. <laughs> um so so that was that was the other side of that. But um there was some some a little bit of fear there of of what was going to come out there was that that fear but as i you know you and i kind of talked about it more the last night at the wild man um it became that my calling was that i love my wife so much that i was willing to go step into it and and see what it had for me and see i, I wasn't on a mission to go do it myself but my wife wanted to go do it and i loved her so much and i and i was already in that mindset of of kind of I was already in the mindset of potentially being there at some point in my life, but I yeah. didn't know when that was going to be. And I said, well, this is an opportunity to do it. So let's go, let's go see what there is for it and see how this helps me. And then there was the excitement of epiphanies and then that didn't happen. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And a lot of times with, when it comes to plant medicines, I've heard people say like, oh, I feel called. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's actually like, it doesn't trigger me, but I, I don't know that that's always the truth when people say, oh, I feel called to the medicine, right? Mm-hmm. There's one side of it where it's like, you mean you want to just go do some drugs? <laughs> and then there's the other side of it where people truly are called because they've explored Vipassana, float tanks, maybe psilocybin, maybe microdosing, maybe using like the Stamets protocol or Jamie Wheels, hedonic calendar. Like there's things, there's a progression to get people to sit with medicine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when I hear people get really excited and they're like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, watch out. Like you need to be really respectful and careful. If you're that yeah. excited to go do the medicine, like take a deeper inventory of that. So mm-hmm. I, I resonate with what you're saying because going and sitting with any medicine in a ceremony is a very sacred and serious act. Yes, joy can come from it. Yes, good things can come from it. But also it deserves like, you know, the two-handed sacred hold mm-hmm. of uh, really deep honoring because a lot of times people go and do all these ceremonies and they come back and they just talk about their next ceremony mm. instead of integrating the wisdom that they got from the ceremony. So dude, the question I wanted to ask you at the table, yeah, what are you integrating? What are you integrating from your journey? Like what did you learn during the journey and, and how are you bringing that back here? Um man, because you you know more in depth, but my mind was more of a physical healing. Um and then there yes. was that deep ancestral healing with Bufo that that really hit home for me um and actually it's really funny because not funny I, I i hate that statement we use that idiom all the time but it's like what was really interesting to me what was really interesting to me was that i didn't know what that meant until you kind of worked it out with me at the table i didn't know what that experience with bufo was i know what it felt like but i didn't know what it meant for me to even have the moment of integration um but with you know ayahuasca for me it was to treat my body better like i'd been working out since i was 16 years old i'd put it through a lot of hardships jumping out of airplanes um fast roping out of helicopters all of this other stuff i'd put my body through immense stress and pressure and i realized my body had always been stressed even when i thought i was relaxed my body was never relaxed huh and so what i 
gathered from ayahuasca when I went through that journey was that I needed to respect my body a lot better, both internally and externally. And so, um, you know, somebody who I have immense respect for, who, who you know, is Sean Stevenson. And, mm-hmm. and I read his book, Eat Smarter, just recently that came out. And, and it really helped me to dial in what that respect for myself looks like internally, because that really affects, as you, you're very well aware of, and a lot of your listeners are, but that affects everything inside of us from our joints to, to our bowels, to our hormones, to our mental faculties. Everything is affected by that food that we put in. So I was like, wow, I really need to, because I'd give myself these justifications of, oh, Friday hits, like we, you know, yeah. we, can, we can eat kind of crappy, but then the rest of the week, we're, we're good. We eat really well. So like we eat really clean. I feel that way about beer, about alcohol. Yeah. Like we were at the event and I was like, I'm going to have a beer. Oh, it was yeah. like this magical event. I'm like, I'm going to have a beer. And people looked at me like, what, is this dude crazy? I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't resonate with my system. So, so yeah. you got all these messages from the medicine and what was it like to start to come out of the teachings and what, what lessons do you feel like you've really held on to and that you're dedicated to bringing here and to actually integrating here? Um, well, the lesson, the lesson that I feel like I'm, that I'm integrating here was, was, um, holding integrity for the standard of, of the man I want to be. Uh, because part of that was, I always have had a high level of integrity, but I, I, felt like when I became on this entrepreneurship journey, I lost a lot of that. And it's easy to do. <laughs> dude, I like, yeah. you know, all of a sudden a snooze button's hit and then you're setting your day up with, you know, uh, uh, you know, setting yourself back right there. You're telling your, your subconscious that you're not owning the integrity you set for yourself, which was to get up when that alarm hit. And then other things like, you know, so it was just compiling of a lack of integrity before I went to ayahuasca. And as I went to ayahuasca and came back out of it, um, through, obviously they do a very good job at cleaning up your diet for you while you're there for the week. Then you experience the plant medicine. The plant medicine told me that my body was the thing I needed to focus on in that journey. So when I came out of it, the integration has been, um, and obviously we kind of indulged this weekend, but mm-hmm. has been to really give myself the ability to take care of this meat suit that we're carrying around. Because if I'm going to create any type of impact, I also need to feel good yeah. about what I'm carrying around, both internally and externally. It's not just about working out. It's about, you know, all the biohacking tricks that you, you offer everybody, all those things that you give people on the show. Um, I take those and I'm like, dude, I need to keep doing those because that's, that's, what's going to help me to take care of all of this. That's scientifically proven to increase longevity and health and everything else in our body. So uh, coupled with the eating, the integration for me is to continue to hold integrity, to do those things and not create justifications of why I can skip out that day. Yeah. Right. Like holding yourself accountable to being like, if I'm going to hold my wife accountable to stuff, I better hold myself accountable to things. So it's holding myself accountable. If I say I'm going to do it and maybe that day I you even talked about it with Carrie, what you guys do with the heart and yeah, your hand. Five and minute check-in. Some days you're like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> five, five minutes. Just listen for five minutes, right? Right. So I'm, I'm curious, what is the, the deepest edge that you're leaning into post-ceremony? In other words, like, yes, we understand what you're integrating with your body, mm-hmm. but what is the deepest edge of this highest version of Johnny? that you're leaning into? Is it uncomfortable? What's that like to know? Okay. I have a picture. I have a vision of this. I'm leaning into it. I'm really pouring my heart and soul into it. What's an edge for you there? What's challenging Mm. about that for you? (sighs) 
I mean, what comes to mind for me is the edge of, like, I want to say, like, confronting the demons and darkness inside that continually come up and in, in, um, question what I'm doing every day. Uh, they're questioning if I'm making an impact, questioning if I'm a man of integrity, questioning if I'm teaching one way and not living the same. Uh, for me, it's post post plant medicine has been to find that crevice and where that's residing and to confront it, to step into it and to own it. Because instead of running from it, like I've been doing for so many years of my life, I have to find where it is because I know it's in there. And that was part of, part of that journey. Because like we talked about with Bufo, that's what came up. It was that deep anger and pain and struggle. And then I was crying and I couldn't even, I couldn't stop it. It just poured out of me. And I was like, holy crap, it wasn't even my pain, but there's so much pain somewhere that I'm mm-hmm. holding on to. I have to find that because all of that is holding me back from really, truly opening up and full throttle to helping men on this planet as much as I can. So I think for me, when you ask that question, it's finding and, and, and continuing to search for that deep, dark crevice because he pops up every day. We already talked about some of the things he says to me. A little dark Jiminy. Yeah, a little dark Jiminy. He comes up and we've already talked about what he says to me, but he, he sits there and he waits and he waits and it, he's patient. And mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to be more patient and then I have to be able to confront him and own him, own, own what he's bringing to me. Just, just for a minute. Let's talk about that because there's this analogy of like the shadow or the dark Jiminy and every human being experiences this on some level. You know, obviously if you've done work for a long time, if maybe you're Ram Das, maybe it's a little bit easier for you at some point, but all of us deal with this dark part that says you're not in shape enough. You can't handle this. You're not going to make enough money, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Some of that I really believe especially from these conversations I've had on Wellness Force, I absolutely 100% without a shadow of a doubt believe that it's collective. Mm. It it comes from the collective, from us being in the collective, from us experiencing life in the collective, going out. That's why it's really like we have to be vigilant about who we hang with. Mm -hmm. Because if I hang out with the wrong person, I start feeling like shit. Mm -hmm. I start doubting myself. I start going, what am I doing in this world? Like that's a big one. But then there's also the personal and I think from what you shared with me in, in your ayahuasca ceremony, I was like amazed because I have heard of this concept of people purging for others mm. and being able to clear the energy of others through them. Do you feel like it was a combination of both? So in other words, did you, did you clear energy for the collective that was dark and crunchy and nasty? Mm. And did you also clear your own Gemini Cricket energy? Um, and how would, you, how would you describe the difference between the two? Hmm. Um, after you and I talked about it, I feel like potentially it was an ancestral clearing or a, um, you know, collective clearing. When you say that, that really resonates with me that maybe I was holding some of that pain for that collective because the, you know, our energies do interact consistently with, with each other. I mean, uh, I've sat with people and all of a sudden they're throwing up. They don't know why they're having all these 
visions that aren't even theirs. I mean, I've experienced visions. And I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> that's not my shit. You know? Well, if, if your listeners haven't done it yet, there was, um, I believe, a study done by NASA or somebody, but they measured the energetic output after 9-11 and it was off the charts out in New York. It was crazy. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with like the energy facilities, the material energy that's, that's here in this world. It was this huge energetic output from New York that just was emanating off the earth. And it was because the collective, because the, the heartache and, and pain that had gone on in, in the hopeful and wishful thinking that things would get better and collectively supporting and loving one another, there was a huge energetic output from that. And they read it, I think uh, they, they actually tracked it from the International Space Station. But that's where I kind of look at it and say, well, maybe that was what I was doing because we were also interacting all the yeah. time that maybe that was part of it. But I think for me, the difference on the personal side of it was that I felt like I, I felt better. I felt tranquil. I felt peaceful afterwards. Like it sat in me for about 20 minutes afterwards, I got up and I went outside and I just couldn't talk to anybody. And I was like, I'm still in this right now, but it wasn't that huge immediate, like what it was for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And when I, when I went outside, I was like, just thinking about everything in me that was like, oh my God, like this is, I feel relief. I feel so much relief. And maybe it, maybe because of the way that my, my brain has wired, it's, it's, taken some of all this trauma that affects other people different ways and I've been able to manage it and that was my release from it but I definitely felt the relief in my body and my mind and that helped me to also be um man it really helped me to be a lot more centered with myself when I was home I I, I really find that being like so much better with who I am and okay if there's moments that I'm not at this pinnacle all the time, this this high level of alertness and eliteness, if I'm not there, it's okay. And and I used to not think that. I was like, dude, if you're not there, you're failing today. And I was like <laughs> That's a lot of pressure to withhold all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like when I went through that and I got home, I was okay with sometimes just being okay. When it was a day that I, I didn't I was not called or felt aligned with hitting that elite level. I knew like with myself, I was like, okay, there's peace here. What, what can I do for me today? That's going to resonate with that peace. And so that's what I experienced afterwards. And that's how I can say that there's a difference because I think that collective outpouring, that collective release heals maybe the other people that interact with you. They, and, and I, and I got some feedback from that at, at the retreat as well. But part of that was like healing how people can interact with you and how they can feel safe with you because there's this release of even for them pain and suffering. Right. So I think for me, that was kind of like, if you ask me that question, if that makes mm. sense, that's my separation between the two. It's powerful because you got all this wisdom from a mother ayahuasca. Yeah. And then on your website, you said your, your, your tailor, she put you down the path of evaluating, evaluating yourself and, um, the struggles that you were going through. And you were like, naturally, I said, fuck that. <laughs> no one can tell me how to be a man because they haven't seen the things or had been through the times I've been through. Mm -hmm. How do you reflect on that when you wrote that? I'm sure you wrote this quite some time ago mm -hmm. um, versus your ayahuasca experience. Like, what's the lesson in both mm. this reflection with Taylor and what's the lesson from ceremony? I mean, the lesson 
kind of corresponds to both, but the but the lesson from that for this <laughs> for everybody that can play catch up with it from that for the, for that statement was that I, I look at that wounded Johnny as somebody who didn't understand that everybody's journey is different and and experiences and trauma are experiences and trauma for that person. Um, regardless of how I perceive them in my own life, because there's men I look at and I'm like, bro, you went through some real trauma, some real traumatic stuff. And I don't feel like mine even measures up to that. And then I get insecure with myself. Like that person's dealt with more trauma and they're great people in this world. Like who am I to even complain about the stuff I used to do? So I find insecurity in that. But um, looking at, the man that wrote that or looking at the man that said that during that time was that he was so wounded in understanding that everybody is their own person and the journey for them is that journey. Whether you believe in it's their soul contract in this universe, whether you believe it's their umpteenth time on this planet and they have some other things they need to work out, but everybody's journey is that personal journey to them. And who am I to judge that? Who am I to be somebody play, um, you know, Ex- judge, uh, what is it? Judge, judge jury, jury and executioner. executioner. There you go. Judge, mm. yeah. <laughs> jinx. No, um, but who was I to play judge, jury, and executioner for other people? Like, who was I to be that guy? Mm-hmm. And then, and then I and I look back at him and I'm like, bro, how how many people you were alone? And you say that you were alone in life. You didn't have that close proximity to people that you could be like so close that you guys were calling each other every day. And if you saw Josh, you saw Johnny. I didn't have that in life. And was it because I pushed that away? One of the things I love about our friendship, our connection, this conversation and the work that we do in the world is the fact that we can speak like this and it makes sense. Mm. It's not pie in the sky, Johnny and Josh are on a mountaintop and we've got it all figured out or, you know, we're so spiritual. I feel like the world is, especially men, we're we're craving, we're so fucking hungry for practical spirituality, Mm. for like real connection with the divine, with mother, with father, with earth. But also it can be so challenging because of how spirituality gets hijacked at times. I'm not going to say names. Everybody's got their own barometer of truth. But in our space, yeah. there's a lot of people that they they don't necessarily walk the talk. And if you hang out with them, like there's nowhere to hide in an event. You're, you're going to get to know people for three, four days. Mm-hmm. So there's really like if, if you have some personality clicks, uh, quirks, they're going to come through and people are going to see it. You know, yeah. and, I, and I've, I've done this at conferences where I'll interview somebody on the podcast and I'll try to hang out with them at dinner or something. And they're just so disconnected, yet their business mm. is about connection. Do you feel like we all teach what we most need to learn or is that just placating the lesson? Oh, I, I 100% agree with that. I honestly, like, I, I feel like when I teach other men, I'm actually teaching me. I'm actually identifying. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly feel like I actually am, am identifying still things that I struggle with. And I and I know they do too. So I'll do work to help teach them on it. I'll do the investigation. I'll, I'll try to get, I'll do my best to get the information that's been studied on. I do everything I can to help them. But at the end of the day, I'm literally just helping myself as well because I'm going through this journey too. I don't have all the fucking answers. Like I'm out here just trying to be a guy that can help guide dudes and let them know it's okay that they're they're they might be struggling that they may be lost but 
you know, we all go through those moments and I'm in them in and out as we've talked about on this episode. I, mm-hmm. I go in them in and out to this day. Yeah. And so absolutely, I think that if we're teaching, but I think that's the best way to be a teacher. If, you, if you're teaching from something that you need to learn, you're going to be more invested in finding the right, or not, I don't want to say right or wrong, but you're more invested in finding um, some form of solution that you can give to yourself and then pass on that wisdom. So in all honesty, that's the that's a great way of being a teacher. And I think that we should embrace that. There's nothing wrong with that because we're all yeah. constantly learning. Because if not, and you think you're higher than everybody else, and you think that you've surpassed the Dalai Lama and you're the all-knowing being of any subject, it's like, well, there's almost 8 billion people on this planet. I don't know that hmm. you are, brother. Uh, there's a key difference, in my opinion, from the scholastic and the academic teacher or a spiritual guide mm. or a spiritual trusted mentor. Yeah. Those terms are way separate because on one side, there's like the the kind of uh, r- a relationship that America has built with academia and with being a tenured professor and all these things. Mm-hmm. But these men and women that are like 20-year tenured professors, they haven't been in the real world on the front lines of whatever their profession is in two decades. Yet Mm. they're speaking about it and they're trying to teach you, the student, as if they are. In other words, like they have all this wisdom, but they really can't apply it because they've been sitting in a classroom for a long time. You're different. What I like about you is like you you have this servant leadership to you Mm. where, yeah, you have the academic background and you've been to war and you have a lot of accolades to you. But really what I sense from you is just this very kind heartedness Mm -hmm. and that's rare. Mm. So keep that promise me. You'll keep that. I will brother. No matter what happens with your podcast, no matter what goes on after this conversation, like we get tested, we get tested in this world. And I've, I've really had to learn how to breathe properly, not just through our, our breathe breath and wellness program, Mm -hmm. but so that I don't spin myself out and start believing someone else's story that they're trying to teach to me. Mm. So with all the things we've covered, man, we covered a lot of ground. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about just a handful of things that that men can do practically. Mm. You know, maybe this is the second time they're listening to this. Yeah. But what what can a man do, or or what can a woman that supports her man to be the best version of himself? What can they do, like tomorrow morning, whether it's starting their day, whether it's applying something in their day? And let's not even make it complicated. Like, mm. let's make it really what you yourself do and how you teach your men in your programs and in your events. What's what's a handful? Maybe maybe one to three things that they can apply on a daily basis that's really moved the needle for you. Yeah, brother. I love this because I, I love keeping it simple. Part of what I, I really enjoy about helping men with is is getting a good structural foundation, which is all simple things. That's how we became elite in, in special operations. It wasn't because we were just like crazy complex. We had to start somewhere. And when those foundational pieces were super strong, that's when we got to be complex. That's when we got to do the Cirque de Soleil stuff. You know, that's when we got to get real crazy with how we did and approached a mission. But the reason why is because when stuff spun out of control, we could go back to the foundational pieces. And I found that has been important for me. So I love the practicality and simplicity in giving good tools that just aren't break. You don't have to go and break the universe to, to create something new. Like you can give people something that's simple. So I love this. Thank you for opening the door for it. Yeah. And one of the things I can tell guys, because I was terrified to do it um, when I started this journey was to simply journal and what I came up with was called a, I, I don't, I haven't marketed this and I don't have one, so I'm not like plugging anything, but like what I like to refer to as a psycho journal. 
Um, and basically you write for like three pages and you don't have to do it all at once. Maybe you do it over a day or two days and write any of the crazy shit that comes into your head, like anything, if you're cussing at your wife or your kids or yourself, if you're loving up on, on your, your family and you're expressing gratitude, whatever the most craziest shit you want to think of that's holding you back, write it down, write it right for three pages, then rip them out and burn them or shred them. So nobody gets to them. Right. Because that's can, our, can fear. You, can that's you, our fear. Can you go back and read them and laugh at how silly they are too? <laughs> you, you perfectly can. But where yeah. I was, when I started this is I didn't, I was so scared that someone was going to grab them and, and, and grab my journal and read it that I was like, bro, if like this comes out, like, like all of a sudden, you know, you, your friend comes over and they grab it and then they see it and start making fun of you or start, you know, mm. saying like, bro, this guy's, we ain't coming back here. This guy's fucking psycho, right? Like you don't want that. And so my fear, that was a true fear of mine before I started journaling. That's why I know that this has worked for me. But when I started doing it, all of a sudden what happened was it became really crazy shit that like, I was like, dude, I wouldn't want anybody to read this. Then it became gratitude and, and, and more peace. And then it became creative. And I was like, where did I started writing poems? I started like writing, um, like music. I started to just write stuff that was on my heart and no longer was that crazy stuff even in my head. And I watched this transition over, you know, the first year that I had done it. Um, and I was like, whoa, oh, wow. Okay. I was really scared of this, but I feel so much better right now. Mm. And even after the first times I started, I felt so much relief. So that was one of the tools that I love to give guys because I experienced it. And I know a lot of my alpha brothers out there who've been in the field that I was, they feel the same way. You know, we've talked about it before and I've talked about it with some of my friends and they've been like, yeah, but what if somebody finds it? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like, Burn it. Burn the pages then. Take three take My three answer would just be, so it. the fuck what? Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, so the fuck what if you found it? Like, that's my crazy psycho journaling, as you call it. Yeah, yeah. But would I'd Josh, like, would Josh th- what, five years ago have said that? Maybe, but Josh seven years ago, hell no. Right. So seven <laughs> years no. ago, Josh would yeah. have said that. 2013 Josh would be <laughs> like, you are such a, a P-U-S-S-Y, dude. What are you talking about? Right. Um, right. Anything else that you do on a daily basis for you? Obviously, your exercise is paramount. It's obvious you're a super healthy guy. But but how do you look at physical intelligence? How do you integrate that into into being an embodied man, to being a man that's your higher self. Um, so so I've come up with with a couple things, and I'll just I'll share this. And and f- I'm not advanced in either of them. Um, you're really advanced in one, and then the other one you probably experience it, but I don't know if you do it on a regular basis. So the first one is, um, I got into obviously breathing. I I, I used to laugh at that shit too, right? And then it's like, and for anybody that that still is kind of on the fence about it, but if you're listening to Wellness Force, you know how important it mm-hmm. is. But if anybody's on the fence about it, they use this for Navy SEALs now. They use this for special forces. They use this for really elite groups. And breathing is incredibly important. And even I found myself before I came here, I was, you know, after driving from Corpus and coming here to Austin and everything, I got here about an hour before. And then I was like, okay, breathe. And, and like immediately I got into this more peaceful state. And to me, that has shown that even though I've been doing it now for probably about a year or so, um, pretty, pretty regularly and, and holding integrity with it. Uh, it's, it's put me to a point where before I go into a room now, I can reconnect with me and come in with a different energy than what I was outside that door. 
So that is breathing to me is so important, which is why your work, um, your breath work is so important. And everybody truly needs to be part of that because the, mm-hmm. it just, there, there's so much connection with yourself that you can find in that. And even just simple of even a few breaths before you go into a party or a room is going to change how you show up. I love how you said that. Cause it's not, people think of breath work and they think of Wim Hof where it's like, yeah. <sighs> no. and it's like, hold on, that's catharsis breathing. Like we don't always have to do cathartic breathing. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can do acute breathing, which is like stage fright or fighting with your wife or whatever. And then there's the meditative breathing, which is like proactive breathing where you're cleaning your engine. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not just about people think of breath work and it's like, oh, it has to be this crazy spiritual experience. It's like, no, you can meditate for three minutes. Mm -hmm. You can do breath work for three minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just whatever, it's whatever your day is calling for. So, And and I'm proof to that. I, I know now, like I literally take, it's about three to four breaths that I do of just a simplistic circular breathing. It's it's nothing crazy, but I do that. And then within the about the fourth breath, I'm already just like super back into me and peaceful. My mind stops racing. And it, like I said, nothing crazy. And I'm a testament to that. I'm somebody that used to bash it. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> Come on. Who's doing sure, breath work really? Sure. Um, and then the, the, the last thing for guys, and then I'll give one tool for girl, for women out there who mm-hmm. can want to get their men on a, on a journey. But the one thing for guys, another thing is what I like to do is a, a um, like a threshold check. So anytime you're going to, before you walk into a door, uh, through a door, check your mindset and how you're showing up just briefly. It doesn't take very long. Like, oh man, I had a really stressful day at work. I'm walking into the house. I say, okay, how do I want to show up on the other side of this door? Mm -hmm. And the other side of this door is I want to show up as, as an attentive father. But if you give yourself that question, you're going to come up with an answer and you'll show up with that energy. So that's the other one. And for men. And then the last one for women is that uh, do psychological warfare. So we're seeing it right now with the pandemic, but use it for positive things on your on your spouse or significant other is put on a podcast when they're around that you know they're going to like. So they start to hear the information like my wife did to me when we were friends. Maybe toss them a book you think is going to be really impactful and let them sit on it for two months, three months, but they're going to come around to it. And you can allow them to find that in their own time. But when you do those things, you're going to subconsciously start to program them to start listening to the information. (laughs) So I'm all about it. It's all for good reason. It's all for good reason. So yeah, and and it's not what I get from you isn't about like control. It's just about the gesture of kindness and connection. Yes. It's about the gesture of kindness and connection. So I would I would assume that every couple that wants to grow is going to constantly go back to, hey, what is my partner doing, and how can I be more curious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. like that is the one overarching concept that I get from every single either person that w- that we work with as a couple or. Um, that I read in a book or that I have on my show. It's like, if we can just be curious in the mm. face of all these triggers and all the programs and all the all the history that we've been through, man, curiosity is like the fucking lightsaber mm-hmm. that comes and just crushes everything else. Because if, if I'm triggered by you, Johnny, and I'm upset and blah, blah, instead of me going, you know, I'm really fucking triggered by you and I can't imagine this, if I could just remind myself to take six circular breaths and go, hey, you know what? I'm really curious. When you act, when you act like that, or when you say that thing, can you share with me why you do that? Mm. It's like boom. I mean, walls come down. Totally different experience. Mm-hmm. But it's because I I was mature enough. I was patient enough to like tune to my breath, cycle down my vagus nerve, and connect with you and be like, ah, why do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know. But it's but it's a practice, man. And it, so is the art of masculinity. So mm-hmm. as we wrap today, like 
share with people the art of masculinity. It's not just a podcast. I mean, this is your movement. The wild yeah. man experience is within your company as well. For someone who's feeling inspired and they want to engage with you, mm-hmm. you know, obviously your podcast, but this experience is unique. You run it two, three times a year. Yep. I can attest to this. You guys are going to see the B-roll and you're going to see me in this podcast um, right now, actually, we'll stick something in of me shooting out a helicopter. Look at that. Look how amazing that is. You see me shooting out a helicopter? And look, like these are things that I never thought yeah. I would ever do. And so when we put ourselves as men in these different experiences, we learn new things about ourselves. We bring them back home. Mm-hmm. So share, share with people that don't know anything about Wild Man um, where they can go to learn more. Yeah. And when the next ones are coming up and just, you know, a little bit about how they can start to engage with you and get involved with you and your work. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Thank you. And this has been a blast. So I just I love it. It's been such a fun time talking with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for giving me the platform to to share this with people. Uh, really, the best way is you guys can go check out my website, which is Johnny L. Sasser. And that's E-L-S-A-S-S-E-R. I know Josh will put all this in the show it's notes. It's spelled perfectly here. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled perfectly here. <laughs> um, but just go visit that.com and you can find me. Uh, you can find the information about the wild man. We have a couple set up for next year. We're already sold out for February. April's looking like it potentially may not have uh, much left, but then um, there there'll be one another one in October, November timeframe. So best thing to do is to get on the email list so you can know when it's going to come out. We always launch it out, and sometimes um, if we have the availability, we'll we'll also toss out like cool deals to our email community. So awesome. I love to do that. Um, but you can find it there and you can connect with me at Instagram is usually the best way. So Johnny.lsasser again on Instagram. And if you DM me, I, I'm, I am definitely in charge of my own Instagram. And so I email or I message people back and actually have real conversations with them. So um, those are the best ways. And that's how you can find out more about the wild man and what's going on as far as how, you know, my ecosystem looks with the savage system and, um, all the other things that we're putting together to hopefully just bring great things. So guys can really just center themselves and find out who they truly are and show up that way. You know, the term embodiment gets thrown around, but I really feel like you embody a lot of good things, a lot of great things for men. And also I love that you embody the humility to share that you haven't fully embodied everything (laughs) too. So I really, I really respect that about you, man. And and being with you for these past four days has been absolutely incredible. You know, people throw around that word too. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like, nah, this really was, Mm -hmm. it was something very different. So if, if you're a man out there and you're looking for a unique experience, I would absolutely wholeheartedly recommend this. And as we say goodbye, man, at the intersection of what you do, which is being a badass wild man, but also a, a centered man who knows his masculine and feminine, how would you describe wellness? Like with all you've been through, like the tent and military and the divorce and then being with Taylor and leaving that space and and launching your own podcast. Like it's been a twisty turny road for you. Mm. So what have you learned most and how do you define wellness? Like, what do you, what do you see wellness as now? Mm. I love this question and, and I've thought about it a lot in my life and especially more recently, but for wellness is to strip away all the material things in your life, to strip away the people, strip away the people you love from your life. What do you look like? If you aren't happy with that person, then how are you well? To include the things that they put in their body, to include how you treat yourself psychologically. What are the things that you say to yourself in those moments of being alone? How do you treat yourself when you have a success in your life? Do you celebrate anything? Do you give yourself grace when you falter? 
That to me is wellness to strip yourself of everything else. And who the fuck are you? And if you can't look in the mirror and say, I love that man or that woman staring back at me, then I don't feel like you've hit that complete wellness for who you are. And, um, I just want people to be their themselves in this world because in all reality, nothing outside of us means anything if we aren't well and we aren't centered in who we are. So that would be my description of being well and having true wellness. It's a beautiful mirror to look in, mm. the mirror of truth. Yeah. And the truth is whatever we say it is, mm -hmm. which is so fascinating to me, this whole life. <laughs> Such a cool game. It has its challenges. It has its joys. And uh, it's been a pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank so you, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate you, man. I love you. I really respect what you do. And uh, I'm stoked to keep this friendship going and learn more and have more experiences and shoot more guns out of helicopters. Absolutely. So until we do that, um, this is Josh and Johnny saying goodbye. And before you take a breath in your day today, uh, set an intention about what you want to create and what you want to actually do and become and take that love and wellness with you. So I'm wishing you love and wellness. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is going to allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, <laughs> as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. What goes through your mind when you hear the word CBD? Is it confusion? Is it clarity? Well, our partner Cured Nutrition has full clarity on 100% organically farmed cannabidiol. Say that like five times fast, cannabidiol, cannabidiol. <laughs> it's way more than just CBD. It can be quite confusing out there in the world with cannabidiol and CBD. I simplified it. I did the research for the past two years. I found Cured Nutrition. I interviewed Joe on the podcast. It's episode 300. This is all the parts of the plant. They use the entire plant. You get the rich terpenes, the healing compounds that allow you to sleep well and move well. And multiple scientific research studies are showing promise around cannabidiol for pain management better digestion, and essentially amazing sleep by turning off your mind so you can rest. This full spectrum, 100% organically farmed hemp is grown in the sunshine rays of Colorado. I don't know if you've been to Colorado, but it's the perfect place to harvest powerful nutrients and plant medicine. That's really what this is. Medicine for your body and soul. I like to take the full dropper of the extra strength from Cured and put it under my tongue. I hold it for about a minute and I feel, me personally, this gives my digestion and my stomach this warm, calming, almost buzzing feeling. Give Cured a test drive. They support the show. 
They also support you with 15% off. Just use the code wellnessforce at wellnessforce.com forward slash cured and you get 15% off your organically farmed full spectrum hemp. The best on the market. I've tried almost all of them. This is the top of the food chain. Go to wellnessforce.com forward slash cured and use your code wellnessforce to get 15% off so you can sleep well, love yourself and love your purchase. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.